Off the ball. This beautiful country with so many incredible sports stars are going to open up the World Cup and just set an example for so many. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. The Football Show on Off the Ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. This is News Talk. I'm prepared to end it I can. Well, do it then. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should it be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Oh. Welcome to Thursday Night's Football Show. It's Richie McCormick here with you. What a week it has been so far. One of managerial tumults in the Premier League in particular with Brendan Rodgers losing his job at Leicester on Sunday and Bruno Saltor in temporary charge of Chelsea for their midweek game with Liverpool in the Premier League. And he's now have a job too because Frank Lampard has been installed as the caretaker Chelsea boss until the end of this season. We'll have John Giles on the football show a little bit later on, but I'm delighted to say to look at this Everton part, this Chelsea appointment, uh, old habits die hard. Uh, we're joined on the line by Jonathan Wilson. Jonathan, good evening to you. Evening, how are you doing? Um, we should have seen this coming by didn't <laughs> the, the, the uh, well, the, the madness of this season, first of all, but all these shots of, of Frank Lampard sitting, looking on interestedly at uh, the Liverpool game on Tuesday night. It just We all thought, oh, isn't this nice? Club legend brought back into the fold and he's just being given a nice warm welcome, getting a nice comfy seat up in the director's box. And it was, I think, barely 12 hours later, Frank Lampard's being linked with the, uh, the Chelsea job on a temporary basis. It makes perfect sense and it makes no sense all at once. Yeah, I think that's a very good way of putting it. And, and you know, the fact that we all saw him there on Tuesday night and nobody made the link, I think, tells you how, how bizarre this feels. <laughs> and yet, you're right, it does sort of make sense um, that they, they need somebody to see them through at the end of the season. Uh, I'm really not convinced that bringing Lampard in is better than having Potter there seeing, seeing it through to the end of the season. Uh, I think that's been the the oddity, really, of these, well, certainly three of these four sackings we've had in the last couple of weeks, that the, the, the clubs almost seem to have decided that no manager is better than the manager they had, which, I mean, in certain cases, may, maybe you do get to a point where any anything to sort of break the rhythm is is necessary. I'm not really sure why why Chelsea needed that. Um, yeah, Chelsea, in the two games against Dortmund in the Champions League, Although they lost the first one one 0 I thought played pretty well. Um, I'm, I'm not sure really what's gained by not having Potter in charge for for the games of you know, at least for the game against Real Madrid and then then potentially beyond that. Um, but once you've made that decision, do you want Bruno, who you know a bloke who used to play fullback for Brighton, who I have to say. It took me quite a while to realise that same guy. Um, <laughs> it was the same person. Yeah. That, uh, Bruno Salter was was you know that Bruno because you know he never used that surname when he was at Brighton. Um, but do you go with with him or do you go with Frank Lampard, who is a club legend, who despite his you know his pretty uh, disappointing managerial reign at Chelsea, you know, it remains a legend as a player and and will will at least have a crowd on side. They've gone with the latter, and I guess in the very short term. It may work. Um, <laughs> I'm less than convinced by Lampard's tactical nous in the biggest games. Um, yeah, I was looking back through his European record when he was Chelsea manager, and he didn't have a lot of big games. There's a lot of fairly drab group games, um, but he the, the big games he did have were against Bayern Munich, and they lost seven one 
over two legs and we're battered out of sight. So that doesn't bode well. Um, I guess he does know Carlo Ancelotti, whether that makes a difference, um, maybe. But, uh, you know, as in terms of things Todd Bowley has done since arriving at Chelsea, this this isn't the craziest. Yeah, I saw, I think it was Oliver Kay made the point yesterday before the appointment was made that a lot of people say that this doesn't make any sense. And, you know, we alluded to it there at the top of the, the segment. But I think Oliver said that this might be the first thing that Todd Bowley's done that actually does make a bit of sense because they do have bigger beasts that they want to perhaps bring on board as manager in the summer or maybe later in the season, depending on how it goes. And just managing to steady the ship is something that they wanted to do by bringing Lampard on board. But like you could go back to like September and you think, would Chelsea be in a worse off position than they are now if they still had Thomas Tuchel in charge? And that's the, 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 the madness of the managerial merry-go-round is that in no other real business would top-level jobs be doled out with such a lack of planning. And yet these multi-million pound, multi-billion pound businesses just seem to have scant regard for who's actually steering the ship. It's just really strange. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> I mean, there's so many inefficiencies there in the system that you just sort of think if... I guess Manchester City have done it. Manchester City have got a lot of money and they've thought, right, who's the best manager in the world? Who's the best coach in the world? Who's got a philosophy that's clearly guiding everybody else? Pep Guardiola. For a long time before Guardiola arrived, you know, Guardiola was clearly, to an extent, conditioning how the... Not not necessarily directly, but was conditioning how the club was being built. The fact that they brought in Ferran Soriano and Chiba Giristein, people who'd worked on the Barcelona. The academy was clearly constructed on a, you know, on a Guardiola model so, so that's how you do it. You, you work out the man you want and you build a philosophy that, that will fit him and you, you build everything around that. I think a lot of clubs, they chuck as much money as they can. If it doesn't work, you sack the manager because it's easy to blame him and look at the processes. And that, I mean, as far as you can work out anything, any pattern to what's happening at Chelsea, that that, that appears to be what's going on. But I mean, this, this feels to me... I mean, there is the obvious caveat and quite a big caveat that Lampard has already had 18 months as Chelsea manager. But this feels to me a bit like Solskjaer being brought in Manchester United after Mourinho. They just need somebody... I mean, I think he used the phrase steady the ship. I think it's almost the opposite of that. I think you know, Todd Bowley likes to portray himself as a great disruptor. And the, the, the problem with Chelsea <coughs> was almost the ship was too steady. They needed to rock the ship. Um, and, and Lampard is a disruptive presence. Uh, his management style, I think, is... Not orthodox, I think it's probably yeah. fair to say. Uh, and he's kind of got a free hit, I think. You know, he's got yeah, maybe five games in the Champions League, I think more, more reasonably two, where he gets to have a crack at a Champions League quarterfinal. It, it, it does feel, though, a little bit like, you know, I mean, the cliche of a competition winner you know, get, getting to play a game. It almost feels like Lampard's a competition winner. Go on, have a go at a, at a Champions League quarterfinal, see how you get on. Um, and then, of course, you start to think, well, what happens if Lampard wins that quarterfinal? Did Chelsea get themselves in the position they were that, that Manchester United were in with Solskjaer, where they accidentally appoint him and ruin the next two years as well? I I can't get get past that because I still have this nagging feeling, and you alluded to it there. They under Potter did actually play pretty well in the Champions League and acquitted themselves very well against what at the time, and I know the last week or so has probably impacted on the perception of them, what at the time was a very good Borussia Dortmund side and performing very well at the time. And you, like they're up against a Real Madrid team who are firing on all cylinders, who blew past Barcelona last night with ease, uh, scoring goals for fun. 
And yet you still kind of think back to the Chelsea of like a decade ago when Roberto Di Matteo was put in a pretty similar position uh, as Lampard where it's like, all right, go in there, see what you can do and get us to the end of the season. Like, if he's a success, they can't sack him. And yet they have these <laughs> big managers like Luis Enrique, you know, doing loops at the airport and Julian Nagelsmann who's doing holding loops as well and they're in discussions with, you know, maybe half a dozen more depending on, on what organ you read. And yet you could have a very, like, you could have, it's not beyond the realms of possibility, a very successful few months for Frank Lampard in the job, which makes him unsackable. What did they do then? Yeah, I, I mean, can they beat Real Madrid? That's the first thing. Well, yeah, they can. I don't think Real Madrid are are that good. Um, yeah, they, they, I mean, the game against Barcelona, although they ended up being completely dominant, that first 20 minutes, half an hour, they're on the back foot. I think they're a very patchy side, that the good patches that are very good, but they, they do have these down patches. I think, I mean, this is not an argument that holds any scientific water, but there is a sense that Real Madrid have ridden a look a lot in the last couple of years. Um, that you look at the Champions League run last year, that, I mean, even the final, but but certainly the, the semi-final, the quarter-final, the, the, the last 16 they at most had a good half hour in each of those, not even in each of those games, each of those ties, but in that half hour scored three or four vital goals. Mm. Um, even the final, was it 21 shots to four? I think Liverpool had. I mean, the final didn't feel as absurd as as the PSG game or the or the Chelsea second leg or, 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 or particularly not the City game. But still, Liverpool would point at the, at the XG and, and say, well, we won that pretty comfortably. So you sort of feel... Real Madrid's luck has got to turn at some point. They can't keep relying on, you know, a thirty-five-year-old Benzema, a, a, a 30, 37, is he now, Luka Modric? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's at some point that's got to run out. Maybe Lampard will be the lucky recipient of it. Um, I was quite hoping that that Bruno was going to be the recipient of it because, <laughs> you know, we got the example of of Tony Barton at Aston Villa yes. in nineteen eighty-two, yeah. who. Nobody remembers. Why? What did Tony Barton do next? Nobody's got a clue. What did he do before? Again, nobody has a clue. He just came in one year of being cup and vanished. And Bruno could have been that man. Um, Lampard's not quite such a good story. Or you could have had Potter, who, apart from the games against City, uh, I, I think the games against City, certainly since the World Cup, are the only games where they haven't had a, you know, an XG either within sort of quarter of a goal of the opposition or in most cases better than the opposition so Potter could say really apart from the City games the, the two of them in, a, in quick succession the FA Cup game and the league game the, the, the XG and, and, and I know talking about XG was one of the things that sort of led to this sort of great outpouring of oh yeah what's he talking about we've, we've just been beaten by by Villa he can't be going on about John McGinn's goal not being a high XG chance but Potter I think has a right to sort of point out if you believe in the process, if you believe in, in in what his football is, and that presumably was why he was appointed, his football is slightly conservative, I think, by modern standards. Um, and it, But it is a process-driven a, a, approach. And you know, the process would suggest that they were, that, you know, they were actually playing better than results suggested. Where I think they, they struggled was, I mean, it's obvious, where they struggled was scoring goals. Where they didn't struggle was holding, apart from City, good opponents at arm's length. I could easily have seen a situation in which Potter's Chelsea held Real Madrid off and they did get the luck and they did nick the goal. Yeah, that that that, that, that seems to me a far more plausible scenario than Lampard beating Madrid, but it, you know, it, it is possible he does so. 
and then you know he's he's got probably or not probably uh, potentially a meeting with uh, with Tuchel, the man who replaced him at Chelsea in the in the semi final. Yeah, it's it's perverse. The the elves have been hard at work, uh, namely Arthur outside Jonathan. Uh, Northampton Town was Tony Barton's next port of call for a year, <laughs> right? And then a year as caretaker at Portsmouth, uh, some six years later in nineteen ninety one. So okay, well, I I apologise to to. to uh, to, to Cobbler's fans for, for <laughs> not being up on their managers of the early 80s. Um, but yeah, the, the idea of Bruno, Bruno Saltore, as he suddenly become this week, uh, being the Tony Barton of the 21st century is, is, is quite something. As I mentioned, Chelsea do have irons in the fire, uh, as many as half a dozen, um, as I mentioned, depending on who you, who you talk to. Again, they're, and possibly they need to be a little bit all over the map in terms of the way they play football in terms of how they approach the game in terms of how they deal with the media etc etc um, but all of those who would be in the queue to be Chelsea manager after Frank Lampard possibly uh, would have a right to say why would I want to be involved in this project whereby you six months ago said Graham Potter is the guy Graham Potter will be given time Graham Potter will be able to forge his own um, you know, mould on the team that turned out not to be the case as soon as results started to you know, not go our way. Why do you think I'm going to get more than six months here? And why should I bother applying? Yeah, I, I think that's a very reasonable question that they ask. I mean, you could, even before Pot, you could point to Tuchel. Tuchel was told, you will have more power than any previous Chelsea manager has, has, has ever had. Um, yeah, you, you will be able to, to choose the players you want to bring in. He brings in, um, I think, so six first-team players, uh, in the summer and within a week he's gone I mean all those six players presumably were immediately going well, hang on we we were told Tuchel was going to be given this power we were told that, that you know, this was his vision we were brought in and presumably you know, Tuchel spoke to them and sold his vision of a club and then people like uh, Fafana or Sterling Aubameyang uh, uh, suddenly oh, well hang on he's gone and this new blog's come in and you know, who is he again? Brighton, okay. Right, where was? What else has he done? Oh, right, he's oh, okay. Swansea and some, you know, a semi-pro team in Sweden. Okay, right. And what's his football? We don't really know. Yeah, you know, and and then you know, as, as if that uncertainty wasn't enough, suddenly another eight players signed in January um, on long-term contracts. You know, all individually, I think, very promising players. Uh, they've probably overpaid for a lot of them, but do they fit together? I, you know, I don't. I just don't think there's been any any sort of sense of that at all. Uh, and that's been, you know, it's been my my issue with Bowley from the start. That you know, he he came in, and he started talking about an all star game, and I know, yeah, that that obviously rubbed people up the wrong way because it was you know that classic thing of Americans coming over here telling us how to win our game. Um, but for me, the problem was an all star game works. Or, or could potentially work. I mean, I, I don't pretend to understand the economics of the American model, but it could potentially work in sports where the interaction between players are less important. So in cricket, a sport I do understand, an all-star game makes some kind of sense because you you, know, you you pick you pick five bowlers, you pick five batsmen, you pick a wicketkeeper, you will have a reasonably good game. Football, the players have to play alongside each other. They have to know each other's games. There has to be a um, you know, an internal cohesion there. And Bowley seems to have failed to recognise that all the way through. When he announced the that Lampard was getting the job, he announced him as a Hall of Famer, which again, I mean, maybe it is technically true. I don't know. I don't care about the Premier League Hall it's of Famer. I'm not, not sure anybody does. Yeah. Yeah. Lampard is important to Chelsea, 
because he was part of a side that won uh, th- uh, four league titles. Four, I think he's got four league title mm-hmm. teams. Is that right? I think because um, he's their record goal scorer. Because he's yeah played have many games for them. Yeah, because he was he was a one of the two absolute key struts of the most successful period by far in Chelsea's history. It's not that he's been voted into some yeah nonsense website thing that nobody cares about. So that again, it just sort of the, the total failure to grasp what the game is about. Um, but Bowley may have tapped into something that fans are happy to see Lampard back, and I guess it is a chance for Lampard to to to, to get some sort of redemption for for that disappointing reign he had before. And I'm kind of like I keep coming back to the Lampard issue. Like, if he isn't successful here, how much longer is he insulated from the realities of the jobs that he has done? Because apart from like the he had a decent start at Chelsea and then fell away quite rapidly. Um at Derby it was a lot of Chelsea loanees that brought them to the edge of, of promotion. Um but beyond that, you're kinda of thinking, mate, what have you done to actually deserve this string of fortune? It's 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 it I I I'm still trying to get my head around it. It's still quite bizarre to me. Yeah, I mean I guess it does happen to big name popular players. Uh I think he might yeah, I th- I would warm to him more if he was more uh, if he acknowledged that fact the fact that he has been given these opportunities you know he always talks about oh I've worked very hard everybody works very hard working hard is is the bare minimum at least acknowledge that that he's been given these opportunities the yeah, job he did at Derby he got them to a playoff final and what's happened to Derby since suggests yeah that that was an achievement um his time at Chelsea I thought I thought he got that job too early and I, I don't think he did it particularly well you know those early results. Um, yeah, you know, if you look at the, at the at the fixture list, he the fixture list was was kind to him in those early months. Um, he had that long run of, of six or seven clean sheets in a row, and then you look at them and it's sort of three nil nils, and they beat Krasnodar twice. And it's like, oh, okay, it's you know it's it's not that great. I think he was found badly wanting in big games. The fact that they kept conceding goals from set plays, the fact they kept being done on the break, those to me will be massive red flags. I think they're two things that the coaches need to get right on the training field. The way he fell out with certain key players, notably Antonio Rüdiger, um, you know, all of that would concern me. His time at Everton, Everton is clearly an incredibly difficult job. I wouldn't be too critical of that, but again, he fell out with key people. The same issue conceding goals on the break, conceding goals from set plays. Um, yeah, he 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 has been given opportunities. I'm not really sure he's taken them. The person this might be really good for is Mason Mount. Mason Mount, he mm-hmm. absolutely adores, and Mason Mount played really well for him at Derby and in the early days of Chelsea. So if Mason Mount is is stalling on his new contract, which appears to be the case, that might actually be the the long term benefit for Chelsea. In, benefit for Chelsea in this that the Mason Mount gets back in the team starts playing regular again starts playing well again and maybe he is persuaded to to sign a new contract um, and Lampard to be fair to him you know he he has brought through other young players um, uh, Tamori although he ended up selling him uh, Tarek Lamptey gave his first start to you know, there are a handful I mean, Hudson the door he brought through again has sort of drifted to the periphery but you know he, he did give chances to academy players so the fact they now have <laughs> 20 kind of players aged 21 or under in the squad that's probably good news it suggests that he's happy dealing with that um, but I, I equally think you know he he could lose every game as as 
Chelsea interim manager and it, it shouldn't really affect his standing. I don't know. Maybe if we're absolutely humiliated by Real Madrid, it does. But I mean, this is a bizarre situation he's been put into. I, I think to to judge him, he, he, whether it's a success or a failure, to judge him on this next couple of months, I, I, I think you've got to, got to look at the context, which is a pretty weird context. It is a very weird context. But where do they go next? Because as I mentioned, the names are kind of all over the map in, in terms of their approaches, in terms of how they deal with players. Uh, Luis Enrique and Julian Nagelsmann are probably the two main ones that are in the in the discussions at the moment. Um, as I say, they really have to pick somebody and stick to it. But given the past 20 years, 25 years of Chelsea, there's nothing to suggest that anybody's going to be hanging around for much longer. So d- dwelling on their approaches and dwelling on the way that they uh, tackle squads and deal with owners, uh, they're not huge issues because they're probably not going to be there in, in 24 months' time. Yeah, and I think in retrospect, what you can see is that Abramovich or, or Marina Granovskaya, they did have a much sort of clearer vision of Chelsea than, than perhaps we anticipated, than we perhaps acknowledged at the mm-hmm. time. That although coaches kept on being sacked, uh, and although there, there was sort of, I mean, you, you can't say that, yeah, Mourinho was the same sort of coaches, Scalari was the same coach, sort of coaches, Ancelotti, yeah, there was some jumping about, but at least in terms of squad building there seemed to be a, a you know a general idea there uh and, and you know though they get criticized for selling de bruyne and salah yes selling on academy products or, or, or sorry i mean neither of them are academy products selling on players they bought young or academy products was part of the plan and it was i mean clearly not self-financing because we now know it costs nine hundred thousand pounds a week but it's the 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 player production itself at least was was self-financing that, I mean, that's gone out the window with Bowley. So there's not even that plan. Um, I, I sort of sense that Luis Enrique is probably the favourite. Mm. Um, although that may just be because I'm not really sure where else Luis Enrique goes. Um, yeah, he his his work at Barcelona, I think, was was okay, but there was there was ups and downs in that. And to an extent, he was presiding over a club that was sinking into you know, the, the the into this financial abyss that they're still in. His time at Roma again was was pretty hit and miss. His time at Spain as well, again, some very good moments, some less good moments. But he at least is a, is a man with a clear philosophy. Um, and and Chelsea, a club desperately need of a philosophy, so it, it seems to work in that sense. Um, I mean, to an extent. I mean, this is this is clearly a, a a slightly facetious sentence, but he is kind of deceived up Potter that <laughs> his philosophy is have lots of the ball, don't score many goals. Yeah, I mean they they kind of had that. Um, whereas Nagelsmann, you know, he's much younger. I think he's probably much more in demand than Luis Enrique. Um, I think if Ancelotti does leave Real Madrid this summer, which looks pretty likely, I think there's a fairly good chance Nagelsmann will will at least be on their radar. Um, Pochettino I think probably quite fancies that job and if he doesn't get that I guess he's on the market for, for whoever wants him uh, and he probably needs another job because since he left Tottenham he had that yeah unconvincing spell as PSG manager but there's been a lot of downtime so he probably needs to get back into the game but uh, yeah at, at the moment my, 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 my sense is that, that Luis Enrique would be favourite yeah, uh, Jonathan, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. Two things. 
uh, I want you to come back on uh, when Frank Lampard has won the Champions League and <laughs> John Terry has done a lap of the pitch in his full kit as well because he will find a way even if he isn't part of the coaching team and we have to do a piece as well on Aston Villa's 82 European Cup winning team and Tony Barton in general because that's a fascinating story in and of itself it really is I mean uh, that's that's the first European Cup final I remember watching which is maybe why I do remember it when Tony Barton is, is for other people has disappeared in the mists of time but yeah, I remember. I remember Jimmy Rimmer getting injured, and Nigel Spink coming on, and yeah, uh, yeah making what to my sort of what, how old were I been then? Five five year old brain making a series of brilliant saves, and sort of desperately wanting to be Nigel Spink, which I don't think many people have ever <laughs> ever said <laughs> since. And uh, the the thing of a European Cup final being played out in front of a you know two thirds full stadium, which you know we don't get anymore. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, look, even the Liverpool in '77. That's it's uh, there's, that, there's a great shot from um, behind. I think it's the, the the far end. No, sorry, it's it's the end where where Liverpool scored the two goals in the second yeah. half. And you, that camera shot down. There's huge spaces on those terraces. Yeah. So, yeah, get, it didn't used to be a problem getting a ticket for the European Cup final. The one to look back on, I think, is it was it the Cup Winners' Cup that Mechelen won in the mid '80s. There's about right. fi- there's about 15 people in the final. It's like right. ridiculously poorly attended, um, right. but probably understandable given uh, who was involved. Anyway, uh, rabbit hole uh, for YouTube if you want to go down that way. Jonathan yeah. Wilson, pleasure as always. Cheers, thank you. Cheers.